Well, good morning, everyone. How are you? Doing well? My name is Hunter Upton. I am uh, one of the pastors here at Getwell Church South Haven at our South Haven campus. And glad that you have carved out time to join us for worship this morning. And if you're our guest, we're so glad that you're here. I've met several of you. Glad that you have joined us uh, for worship this morning on this Palm Sunday. So today's Palm Sunday is the beginning of, uh, inarguably, is the most important week in all of history. Uh, but it's the week that Jesus enters Jerusalem, and we're going to talk a little bit about that today, but as, as Jesus heads to the cross uh, for us. And one of the things that I want to let you know about, really excited about, our team has worked really hard uh, on this uh, for this week. But as you may have seen, uh, we've got several resources that are available for you this week to reflect upon uh, this holy week. And so uh, one of the things that we uh, unveiled last week, uh, and you were able to pick up last week, but guess what? you can still pick up today, uh, is our Holy Week devotional. It's a guide that walks from today uh, through Saturday uh, with some reflection and devotional uh, material. We'd love for you to pick one up on your way out today. There's a table like really right in front of me. Uh, on your way out, grab one of those uh, to work through this week. Uh, also, I want to let you know that every day this week, uh, we will also have a different video, a devotional video that will be posted on our social media accounts. Um, and our, our pastors, our staff uh, here have, have put those together in different locations across uh, the area. Uh, and so very special. I think that'll help us to reflect each day on that as well. So watch them, like them, share them uh, with your friends. Uh, would love for that to be something that blesses more than just uh, our congregation. And then one thing that I want to let you know, it's a big surprise, and I'm really excited about this one uh, as well, is that worship leaders at both our South Haven campus and our Hernando campus have come together to write and create and uh, record some original music that reflect with each day again uh, of this week. And so you can find those, uh, I'm told, wherever you can find music, uh, you should be able to find that. Um, it's broad, but I think it's right. So uh, be looking for those. So you can find that as well on our social media page. But guess what? So if you're here and you're like, hey, Hunter, I'm not going to remember any of this. Well, you can look in your bulletin or if you're joining us online, you can go to getwellchurch.org slash Easter. All of those resources are there, including a PDF of the devotional guide uh, and links to the videos and the songs. But I want you to check those out. Uh, let's be very intentional uh, about this week uh, and excited about those resources to be able to give to you. So today we're continuing in our sermon series called Jesus, Who is This Man? Where we've been wrestling with this question, right? Who is Jesus? Who is he? What does he mean? We've been looking at scripture. We've been looking at the Old Testament and the New Testament together to see and answer this question. And ultimately what we find when we look at scripture is that Jesus is the one who we've been searching for all along. He's the one that our heart longs for. He's the one that everything and all of creation is pointing to. But yet we continue to wrestle with this question, who is Jesus? Now, have you ever heard of a paradox? I think that most of us are pretty familiar with this. Uh, but a paradox is a statement that when you, when you first see it, you go, that makes no sense at all. Seems kind of contradictory, right? But whenever you really sit down and you think about it, you go, oh, all right, well, maybe, maybe that's true. 
So here, here's some, some that I wanted to try on for size this morning uh, of paradoxes. You've heard this, less is more. Seems contradictory, but hey, works. The enemy of my enemy is my friend, right? Think on that one for a minute. Next one, the beginning of the end. But is it the end or is it the beginning? Oh. You earn money by spending money, right? Hmm. All right. The more you give, the more you get, right? And then finally, and I love this one, the only constant is change, right? Yeah. Paradox, paradox, things that seem unlikely, that seem at odds with each other, but yet make total sense. You know what else is a paradox? That Jesus is a servant king, a servant king. So how do those two things go together? Well, that's what we're going to talk about this morning. Now, as humans, and I've said this before, and I'm pretty sure that you understand this just as well as I do, we have a tendency to desire status and power. It, I think it's just part of our human nature. We want to be important. I mean, we see this in how we want to work our way up the ladder, right, at work. Uh, we want to live in the most desirable neighborhoods. We want to drive the nicest, newest cars. It's about this status that we may have. Uh, I was reflecting uh, earlier this week on how uh, I have this weird fascination with titles, but we love titles before our name and after, all right? That's not enough to just have them on one end. You got to have them on both, right? And it shows a, a status that you have. I think that we just like to think that we're uh, important. And as much as we desire to be impressive to others, I promise that your parents want you to be impressive as well. Like it's just part of their heart. They want to see you succeed. They want to see you be important. A parent's heart is all about their child. Well, James and John's mom also had this same kind of desire for her children. And so we see that she, she goes to Jesus and she's going to ask Jesus a question. And Jesus is all the, already on his way to Jerusalem. So let's open up our Bibles. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 20. And let's look at uh, her request. Then the mother of Zebedee's sons, that's James and John, came to Jesus with her sons and kneeling down asked a favor of him. What is it you want? He asked. She said, grant that one of these two sons of mine may sit at your right and the other at your left in your kingdom. You do not know what you are asking, Jesus said to them. Can you drink the cup I am going to drink? We can, they answered. Whew. Jesus said to them, you indeed will drink from my cup, but to sit at my right or left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they have been prepared by my father. When the ten heard about this, they were indignant with the other two brothers. Jesus called them together and said, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. And I love this. Not so with you. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must become your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Now the question at hand all throughout this entire encounter is, is not, can we drink from this cup? But it's, 
Who is the greatest in the kingdom of God? And here's the thing. If you, if you flip back a couple of chapters in, in Matthew, this question has come up multiple times already. This is not the first time. Uh, it's not uh, John's and James's mom that's the first one to ask this question. But Jesus has again and again addressed this, and yet he's going to do it again. And this time Jesus wants to, to show them, wants to lay out for them that there's this seemingly upside downness of the kingdom of God. Jesus describes the ways of the kingdom of the world in verse 25. He said, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them and their high officials exercise authority over them. Now we know that's true, don't we? See, God designed this world and everything that is in it. But Satan's deception of Adam and Eve, it, it's skewed this world. It's marred the image that God placed in it. And when we look around, what do we see? We see brokenness all around us. We see it in our relationships. We see it in the way that things happen. And what Jesus described as a world that we find ourselves in, that the Gentiles are, are lording, the rulers are lording it over them. They're exercising their authority. But that's not the way that it's supposed to be. Jesus goes on to say to the disciples in verse 26, not so with you. Not so with you. Meaning that the kingdoms that, that we're a part of, this kingdom that we're a part of, of the kingdom of God is different than this world. It looks different than this world. And so Jesus goes on to describe what that kingdom looks like. He said, instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. You see, the way of the kingdom of God is in stark contrast to the way of this world. And honestly, I think that as humans, we, we find that, that things are different than what we, we expect. Like we, we desire status, we desire power, but Jesus says it's different. That's, that's not to be the desire. And sometimes when we come to, to see God, what we find is, is that things are different than we expect with God. But here's the thing is that God's way, God's plan, God's will, God's heart, in whatever form it looks like, whether or not we like it or not, it's always, always better. Always better. Humbleness, humility, these are marks of the kingdom of God. And they're the marks that are to be for us as citizens of that kingdom. And so humble Jesus, he had set his face to Jerusalem. He's making his way into the city. He knows what lays ahead of him as he goes to the city. Why are they headed to the city? That's what, I, what I've always asked. Because three times a year, God had laid out for the Israelites that they were to go to Jerusalem to celebrate a week-long festival. Now, these festivals, being a week-long, it was kind of like a family reunion uh, in a way, just probably not as awkward as most of mine. Um, but you go and, and, and you're there together and you're celebrating and you're, you're catching up with each other, but you're celebrating things that God has done. So it's a remembrance. 
God, you, you brought us out of Egypt. And so the reason why uh, Jesus is headed to Jerusalem is it's one of those festivals. It's the Passover festival. And so Jesus excited. Is, uh, Jerusalem would have been teeming with people from all over the country coming there to celebrate uh, this Passover festival. And since it was one of those times of year, uh, the Roman governor, Pilate, would have also been coming into the city. It's not because Pilate was there to celebrate it, but it was because he was to do what? He was going to lord his authority over them, right? Do not forget, Rome is in charge here. Don't try to uproar uh, and overthrow this, this kingdom. And so when a Roman governor traveled, as you can imagine, it wasn't like, you know, he just rolled up in his uh, F-150, uh, but it was with a lot of fanfare, right? Uh, he would have been rolling in with his chariot. He would have had armed guards all around him. Uh, he was kind of like the king of that area for the empire. Uh, and I think that a lot of times he would have probably demanded to have been treated just as such, right? But what we find is that Jesus' entry, the king, his entry looks a little bit different. Instead of manufactured praise, what does it look like? So if you've got your Bible open, we're going to be Matthew chapter 21, the next chapter over, and we're going to be in verse 1. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethphage on the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and at once you will find a donkey tied there with her colt by her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, say that the Lord needs them, and he will send them right away. This took place to, to, to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Say to daughter Zion, see your king comes to you, gentle and riding on a donkey, and on a colt, the fowl of a donkey. The disciples went and did as Jesus had instructed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and placed their cloaks on them for Jesus to sit on. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road, while others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. The crowds went ahead of him, and those that followed shouted, Hosanna to the son of David! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord! Hosanna in the highest heaven. When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, Who is this? The crowds answered, This is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. Now, as you can imagine, Pilate's entrance into the city being much fanfare, a lot of pomp and circumstance, right? But Jesus comes in and it looks so different. Instead of a chariot with, with armed guards around him, you have Jesus on a lowly donkey surrounded by the people. The people. Jesus' entry, it's humble, it's not haughty. Some, I think, in the crowd, they recognize what's going on. They go, oh my goodness, remember that prophecy? Remember back in Zechariah 9, 9, when, when it said this very thing that this king will ride in on a donkey? Here he is, the king, come to ride on this lowly donkey. And recognizing this, they begin to praise. They, they draw up the praises from Psalm 118. Hosanna in the highest heaven. 
Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. This crowd, they've been growing the whole time uh, as Jesus has made his way uh, to Jerusalem. And we see that this crowd is there and they're shouting their praise and they're recognizing this. And what a wonderful thing uh, it is that their king has come. Now imagine if we lived in a wall city. Let's just imagine that we're in this room right now and all of a sudden a large group of people come up to the door out there and they're waving, uh, they're putting their coats down on the ground and they're waving branches from off the trees outside and, and they're, they're yelling these praises to him and there's some guy riding in on a donkey. Don't you think we'd all be going, who is this? Like, what is, what is going on? And that very thing was happening in the city. What, what is all this commotion about? Who is this? It's the same question that we've been asking. Who is this? And the crowd, they had an answer, which is great. We should have an answer to that question. They say Jesus is, a, is this prophet. He's a prophet. And they're right. Jesus is a prophet, but, but he's so much more than that. So they're claiming that Jesus is a prophet. They're shouting these praises. But what we're going to find is in less time than a week, they're going to be shouting a very different thing. Crucify him. Why? Why the change? It all comes down to expectations. See, Jerusalem is the center of the religious life. And it's the place where the promised Messiah from the Old Testament, where the promised Messiah is to come and he's to reign One commentary I read this week uh, talked about how this crowd, as they're throwing their cloaks down, that symbolizes that they, they are worshiping Jesus as the king. And then these palm branches that they're waving, they, they represent for, for everyone the symbol of, of, of nationalism for the Jewish people. And so what the crowd is seeing, their expectation is, is that this king, the one who is here to reign, who's going to overthrow the oppressors. He's here. He's here. Is he going to overthrow the oppressors? Is he going to go? Is he going to take the throne that David once sat on? Is he going to go to the temple and become the one who who firmly establishes God's reign and the order that he has set here and all of these rules and rituals? Is, Is this the king? I think all of these things would have been what what they wrestled with, what they wondered as Jesus entered the city. But what does he do? Let's pick up in verse 12 of Matthew 21. Jesus entered the temple courts and he drove out all who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves. It is written, he said to them, my house will be called a house of prayer, but you are making it a den of robbers. And then verse 14, the blind and the lame came to him at the temple and he healed them. But when the chief priests and the teachers of the law saw the wonderful things that he did and the children shouting in the temple courts, Hosanna to the son of David, they were indignant. They were indignant. Do you hear what these children are saying? They asked him. Yes, replied Jesus. And then I love this jab. Have you never read 
From the lips of children and infants, you, Lord, have called forth your praise. And he left them and went out of the city to Bethany, where he spent the night. Jesus doesn't come and assume the political leader. He doesn't come and be the military leader who's going to draw the sword. He doesn't even become the religious leader who, seems the, who, who firmly establishes this, this way of, of connecting with God, but he's so much better. He assumes the one of, he assumes the position of one who serves, of one who serves. He cleanses the temple and he heals the blind and the lame. Jesus comes in and he upsets everyone's expectation. He shows them and he shows us that the kingdom of God, the way of God is different than that of what we might expect. Who is this man? It's that question still. Who is this man? He is our servant king, Jesus. So the king of heaven and earth, he, he looks like a paradox to us. He's servant and he's king. He displays for us what the one true king looks like. So what I want us to do is take a moment to look at how Jesus is both a servant and a king and how those two things are inseparable. And so the first is I want us to look at how Jesus is a servant. First point is this, is that he cares for our concerns. He cares for our concerns. Oftentimes when we think of God, we think of God as being full of wrath and full of judgment, right? I think that's just kind of the go-to for us as, as humans. But wrath and judgment are not what comes easily to God. It doesn't come easily to God. And we see the same in Jesus. Yes, Jesus goes to the temple and he cleanses the temple, but y'all, it's after he has been so patient, overwhelmingly patient, way more patient than we ever could be with what had been going on there. And what we see is throughout all the gospels, the witness of scripture is that Jesus cares. He has a, a heart, not of wrath, but of care, not of judgment, but of grace, not of anger, but of mercy. He knows what it's like to walk and to breathe and to live on this earth. He is Jesus. He's God in the flesh. And so as he knows what it's like to live in this broken world, he cares. He cares. He sees. He acts. He moves. He heals. He brings sight to the blind, healing to the lame. He's a God who cares this servant King Jesus, he's gentle and he cares for our concerns. The second thing is that he thinks of others higher than himself. Unlike Pilate, who would have been a ruler who lauded that fact over his subjects, Jesus doesn't count himself as more important. Jesus doesn't even count himself as God in the flesh. He comes and he serves and he cares and he thinks of others above himself. 
He models for us what it looks like to love God and to love our neighbor. And he takes himself out of the equation. I love how, how Philippians chapter 2 talks about this. But he takes himself out of the equation. Out of not leaning on his status as the son of God, but rather he becomes a servant. He becomes one who, who will give himself. This servant king Jesus, he's humble and he's lowly. Which leads to the third point, is that he takes our place. He takes our place. What we reflect on during this week, this holy week leading up to Easter, is that Jesus takes our place. He takes the place that we deserve for our sin. Jesus, with his face set to the cross, had your face in mind. He said, I'm doing it for you. I'm taking your place because I love you. He willfully goes down that path. The servant king Jesus, he didn't want heaven without us. And so he took our place so that we don't have to suffer the wrath of God. But instead, the life that he brings, the freedom from bondage that we can experience now is immense, is wonderful, is beautiful because he took our place. He is a servant he is a servant. But because Jesus is a servant, he also becomes king. It's one of the parts of the, the, the paradoxical part of the kingdom of God. Is that this suffering servant becomes king. So much different than this world. And because Jesus is king, there, there are a few things that we can count on. First is this that the victory is won. The victory is won. We, we don't have to wait for victory. The victory has already been won by Jesus because he raised three days after he was crucified by the power of God. Y'all, we live in the tension of this already, not yet. The already the victory has been won, but, but the not yet we still kind of wrestle with. We still, we still feel the pains of waiting for Jesus to come again. But the victory for Satan, sin, and death, it's already been won. And there's a day coming when Satan will be thrown into the lake of fire. And when Jesus will return again. And that all the tears will be wiped away. All the wrongs will be made right that righteousness, justice will flow forth from his throne here in the new heaven and the new earth. It's something we look forward to, but it's something, friends, that we can already live into now because our king, Jesus, sits on the throne. The victory is won. The second thing that we can count on is that Jesus reigns today and forever. One of the beautiful things about uh, Revelation, one of the beautiful things about the second half, well, it, well, really all of Daniel, two books that a lot of times we go, man, I have no clue what's going on there. And even if my, my little brain can't understand it, I'll tell you what the absolute message is, is that God's kingdom will be established. God's kingdom will be established. One of the beautiful things about Jesus' resurrection is that his body didn't stay here. He's in heaven. 
He's at the right hand of God. He reigns today. And because he reigns today and because God's kingdom will be firmly established, he will reign forever. What hope, what comfort that gives us for today and for whatever we face in the days to come. God gets that final word. The third thing that we can count on with Jesus being king is that he loves you. You may be like Hunter. It's a strange point to have in this one. But here's the thing. Unlike any king that you could ever have on this earth, unlike any king in all of history, this king knows your name. This king loves you with all of his heart. This king, Jesus, loves you, longs for you, wants for you to to be part of his kingdom today and forever. This king, Jesus, he doesn't doesn't demand things of you out out of spite or arrogance or selfishness, but he knows what's best for you. He has a heart, a true and a right heart for you. See, it's not about checking all the boxes and and getting your whole life into order so that then Jesus loves you. No, Jesus loves you. He wants to be your king. He's gracious and he's good. He loves you immensely. So what do we do with all this? What does this require of us? Well, we really have to wrestle with that question of who is Jesus? And I think that when we've wrestled with it, when we've wrestled with the evidence of Scripture, when we've wrestled with this experience of of earnestly seeking God with our heart, going, God, I've got so many questions. I'm not even sure where to go with this. But when we've done that and we come to the answer, the only correct answer response, and if you want to write this down, I didn't get this on the slide. Submit to the servant King Jesus. It's the only right response that we have. Submit to the servant King Jesus. Submitting to our servant King means that that we humble ourselves. That we do so by following his example of having concern and care for others. It means that we, we think of others higher than ourselves. That even means that we sacrifice our time and our resources, our wills and our wants for the sake of others, for the God's kingdom to continue breaking in on this earth. We do it because Jesus did it for us. And in doing so, what we see is that the the seemingly upside downness of the kingdom of God actually has some truth behind it. That it changes this world and that there's a great reward for living in the way of God. I think unfortunately, one of the things for us as as the church is that we want the kingdom without the king. What I mean by that is there are glimpses of the kingdom of God that we see each and every day and y'all, they are beautiful and they are wonderful and there are more of those things to come. But we can't have the benefits of the kingdom without identifying with the servant king, Jesus. 
We have to identify with him, which means that we follow him, his example. We have to live like him, humbly seeking and humbly submitting ourselves to the God of the universe. And in following him, every step of the way, lean into him as king. He goes before us, he stands beside us as we continue faithfully to follow God in this world until one day he comes again and he brings about the beautiful consummation of his kingdom come, the king, the world to come. And y'all, what a day we have to look forward to. So have you wrestled with that question? Who is Jesus to you? What expectations, like that crowd, what expectations do you have of Jesus that don't match really who he is? What is it that, that we need to quit submitting to in order to submit to Jesus, the servant king himself? I can guarantee you that if you spend your life following him and submitting yourself to him, it will far exceed any expectation that we had placed on him. God is so good. This servant king, Jesus, let's experience the beauty and the wonder of what it means to follow a paradoxical savior. Let's pray. Father, we are grateful for your word, the witness that it speaks to of who you are. And Father, we're grateful that we see your heart in your son, Jesus, through the way that he interacted, the way that he taught, the way that he lived his life. And Father, we are, we are grateful that he is the risen Lord. God, I pray that this week, as we walk through the events of Holy Week, Lord, that we would reflect that we would be spoken to by your word, by your spirit, what we need to hear this week as your son Jesus journeying to the cross on our behalf, giving us a life that we don't deserve, Lord, but in your mercy, in your grace, in your heart, Lord, you love and you desire for us to be able to be made right with you. And God, we are, we are just so thankful that as broken people, you choose to give us life. And so God, we pray that we would more and more today and always understand just the paradox of, of Jesus being a servant king, but Lord, the paradox of the kingdom of God that we are a part of, that you too choose for us to serve. And Lord, that there's great reward that comes. Help us to submit to you, Jesus. It's in his name that we pray. Amen.